Cheers. Cheers. Uh, love a good clink. I'm Kata. I'm Abby. And uh, this is Diplomacy Games, a podcast all about, well, the game of diplomacy and um, a little bit of drinking to, to boot. And nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. Not at all. We, we, we thoroughly support the responsible consumption of alcohol. Yeah, and it's a great way to, um, what's well, a great, it's like twisting your rubber arm really to, to, have, to have a beverage while talking about your favourite game and... And here we are. I'm, I'm, my beverage of choice today is Pipsqueak. It's a little creature's apple cider. Oh, that's nice. Um, it's nice, crisp and refreshing. And it is actually crisp and refreshing. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm, um, we're actually in a um, a French restaurant. Yes. So it's, it's a bit odd. It's a bit of a strange day because normally Kana and I catch up after work yep. for a few drinks. Um, but you kind of mentioned to me before was edited out that uh, Mrs. Kane has gone back to the States for a little visit. Correct, yep. And so, so I just happened to have the day off. Yep. Thank you. Fantastic, thank you so much. So she's gone away, which means you've been up since the crack of dawn. Crack of dawn. Way before the crack yeah, of dawn. I saw the sun rise this morning. Wow, there you go. Yeah, I don't normally get to do so that. You, so um, because of that, we're catching up at lunchtime today, which yeah. is great. Yeah. And um, because of that, it opens up a whole heap of different venues that we normally would be closed when we would normally be catching up for drinks. Yes. So it's a French restaurant. Restaurant and bar called Green Glass. Yes. And I've just got served a plate of um, French cooked mussels. Yes, and I have a, um, a beef cheek. So based on that and the fact that we're in a French restaurant um, and having all that, I've got a, I'm actually having a French glass of bread. It's a Malbec. It's the Chateau Le Rien, Rain or Rien from uh, Cahors in France. Nice. So uh, cheers. cheers. And the one thing, of course, we said before that, you know, drinking alcohol is a, you know, it's a perfectly responsible and it's a it's an adult thing um, do you remember we've actually talked about coming to this fresh this um, restaurant slash bar because it's kind of still got a bar technically a number of years ago did we yeah I did I talked to you about it because we're talking about because this is the place that's right next door to the strip club <laughs> what used to be the strip club <laughs> I walked past that it said it was um, moved to Fortitude Valley the strip club yes well, I remember at one stage, we were, all of a sudden we started talking about this and, and, and I apologise, I can't remember which of our listeners at the time reached out to me afterwards saying, I, I like listening to the podcast in the car with, with, with my son. And all of a sudden you came and started talking about strip clubs. So <laughs> I go figure. Uh, I've got to work out how to eat muscles. Sorry. Well, I was going to actually suggest, do we want to just pause our recording for a moment so that yep. we don't make a mess out of everything? Yeah, let's do that. And also the <laughs> listeners don't hear us sloping and crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll be we'll back. back in a second. And we're back. And we're back. We're forted. We've um, had lunch. Had lunch. Well, forted, fortitude. That's not the right word for Sated. it. Sated. Sated. I don't even feel totally sated. So um, <laughs> we ended up having to order a separate little bowl of... What do they call what do they call French fries in, in France? Is it pommy frites or pommy frites or pommy frites? We're destroying the we're destroying their pronunciation. Pommy frites. Pommy frites. 
And we're on to well, our second. It, it brings anyway, us we're well, on to our second. So, um, where were we before we jumped into lunch? Where well, I think we just started introducing our drinks, started introducing the place, and I suppose now we should probably introduce our interview for today. Yeah, no, we should. Um, so, Stephen Agger, um, as probably many of our listeners know, uh, has been a, a pivotal influence in the development of the diplomacy um, hobby. Um, probably leading up from the uh, era of postal zines in the UK all the way up to around the early the early establishment of of uh, the internet the early internet era um, and he was instrumental in uh, setting up the diplomacy archives and the variant uh, bank amongst other things um, so it was with great excitement actually that um, we finally got on to him, uh, yep. given that he was uh, returning to the hobby to, to be involved in a, in, a, well, in a slightly different manner to his, um, how he's involved historically. But, um, well, we got the opportunity to have a chat with him, and hopefully you guys enjoyed this interview, because I sure did. Absolutely. So let's go to the interview. See you guys on the other side. Stephen Agar, thank you so much for joining us on the Diplomacy Games podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, look, it's wonderful to have uh, another member of the Commonwealth on the show. It, it's been a while since we've had somebody. Uh, we tend to have a lot of Americans on the show. Um, but look, and this you've kind of just recently got back into the game after many, many years. You've kind of just got to a point where you've now what, retired and, and now a bit of time has become available in the calendar to start getting back into the game. Uh, well, I, I think this is probably the second time I've rediscovered diplomacy. Um, I had a quick check and I did my first diplomacy zine, if any of you know what a zine is these days, uh, back in 1976. So I started doing running postal diplomacy when I was 16 in 76, which is actually quite a long time ago now. Um, <laughs> how much, how much you know, was a... Uh, so when you're running a postal game then, how much was the cost of a stamp? Do you remember? I can tell you what the cost of a stamp was in 91 because I spent 30 years of my life working for Royal Mail, the, the postal company here. Uh, but you, you, you're probably talking about, in UK terms, 5p, so in Australian terms, I don't know, 10 cents something. 10 I mean, cents, if yeah, that. What, what, seven, but, six or seven US cents. But um, so back then, so what were, you, what were you doing at the time? Uh, I was going to school, of course, because I was 16. Um, but. It, the, the postal diplomacy world, which, you know, is withered to almost nothing, is totally different from the modern way the game is played. And, you know, the modern way has some advantages, but it's got some real, real disadvantages. So, yes, when you play postal diplomacy, you know, it can take a year and a half, two years to play a game. Now, that you might see that as a downside as opposed to two weeks to play a game or something. But the, the the very the very act of you know physically writing and so on meant that people submitted letters. They talked about politics. They talked about current events, and that the, the slower tempo of a postal game means that you actually end up with a magazine, which actually includes you know articles and letter columns and quizzes and all that sort of stuff, and a far more of a sense of community. Whereas if you go onto a, I don't know a Discord server or a website incredibly efficient at playing the game but for me no sense of community 
because it's all about the functionality of playing the game. Whereas in the old school way, because the only way of doing it was effectively the postal system, it encouraged a very different feel because it was actually a community magazine with things in other than a game report. Whereas now you just get a very efficient game report, but there's no sense of a bigger interaction between the players. Uh, and I think that's a loss because, you know, okay, you've, you've got Doug doing Diplomacy World, but that's not really a community because, you know, that's what three or four times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started off at 16 doing a game and I think I got to 32 issues of that magazine. It was called Pygmy. Uh, then I discovered university and I discovered the opposite sex and suddenly doing diplomacy zines when you're at university did not really seem that important. Surprise, surprise. So it, was, I, it, was, I, it didn't, didn't get you too many dates, is that what you're saying? Uh, I, I, you, yeah, you could, you could say, you could say that. I mean, you could, you could see people's eyes gloss over if you said, what's your hobby? Oh, I run a postal diplomacy magazine, you know, and that was the end of the conversation, basically. Stephen, you should try uh, saying I run a podcast around the game diplomacy. You get the same effect. We're, we're just lucky that we're both married effectively, so <laughs> we don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it'd be hard to get married. In fact, it was interesting. I, I read, well, it's not interesting to me. I, I started running my next, I ran three diplomacy zines before university. Um, an ordinary one, a chat one, and one just on variants. So I did all that before university. After university, met someone, got married. Within a year of getting married, I rediscovered the diplomacy hobby. Uh, no, it was a year afterwards. Uh, she thought that was a great betrayal because from that point on, of course, one weekend of all was totally taken over by doing a diplomacy scene. And 92 to 99, I ran another diplomacy magazine. Uh, then, of course, then I folded it. And then after six months, I started another diplomacy magazine. I think I'm up to about seven now in, in total over the years. Uh, but of course, part of, of that period of my life in the, in the 90s, was uh, you know people like CompuServe were coming along. I was, you know, looking at Rhett Graham's diplomacy for people who remember news groups. You know, using DOS software to to go on the internet. I mean, you're far too young to remember DOS software. Oh, no, no, I know stuff. DOS software. MS DOS three point one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Load, loaded up that, with that's... either a, a five twelve or a two fifty six floppy. I, yeah, that was the height of sophistication at the time. Absolutely. Uh, so I started uploading diplomacy stuff to the web uh, in 1995 uh, through CompuServe, uh, who were not over generous on web space, as you might imagine. Um, but from 99 onwards, I, I created two quite reasonably sizable websites. So one's called diplomacyarchive.com. Where basically I was just taking articles out of my own zines and the postal hobby and putting them on the web, uh, and and did that for quite a while. And you know, uh, I, I then started a different one in in I think about 2000 called Variant Bank, where I was just simply uploading various variant rules that I had. But but I've always been a bit of a nerd. I suspect a lot of people who do this sort of game are a bit of a nerd, and. A great chap called Richard Walker Dean uh, in in the 
70s, or he was publishing from the early 70s, started collecting together every UK diplomacy zine that ever existed and created a massive archive. And he passed it on to a chap called Andy Bate, and he passed it on to me. So I, I have tens of thousands of UK diplomacy zines. Now, in the very early days of the UK hobby, um, it, it came out of the US hobby. And therefore, a lot of the really, really early stuff was held in North America. But we managed, I managed to convince the North American guys, Walt Buchanan, to send it back to the UK to repatriate it. A bit like the Elgin Marvels, but with something a bit more valuable, as in diplomacy zines. So I ended up with, a, and I still have, a massive collection of diplomacy zines, which is, which is actually why I ended up rediscovering the hobby again, uh, because I was trying to get rid of them. I know at the moment that fuel is getting very expensive in the Northern Hemisphere, particularly in Europe and the UK, so uh, don't be tempted to burn them. So you, you obviously have an alternative arrangement you're thinking of, is that right? Well, it is. You see, my, my sadly, uh, 18 months ago, my mother-in-law died, uh, and she, she in, in her prime of her life, was an active politician. And she left her archive to the British Library. Uh, it took ages to sort that out, and they accepted it and they went to the British Library. But of course, I then had, had a relationship with the British Library. And the, the lady I was dealing with put me in touch with their periodicals collection. And they've pretty much agreed to take it all and put it into the British Library, because they have practically none of this stuff. It's very ephemeral. And in a way, it's almost like the social media of its age, because, you know, uh, it's chit-chat between ordinary people as opposed to newspapers about the events of the day and things that were important to them, of which there's a relatively little record, because the historical record tends to be correspondence or newspapers. Um, and this is kind of the informal halfway house. And you know, a lot of diplomacy zines, there's only, you know, well, the first diplomacy zine, there was seven copies made. So a lot of them are 50 or 60 circulation you're really big if you had a circulation of 200. So they're talking about things that are terribly ephemeral, they disappear really quickly. So they were happy to take them, but you know, like many organizations, restrictions on funding. So they'll only take them if I catalog them for, for them. They sent me a, a spreadsheet to catalog it because they can't afford to pay someone to do all that. Mm -hmm. And of course I can probably do it quicker because I understand them. Um, because that means you start reading them again, don't you? And you start, you know, it's it's a bit like trying to throw stuff out in the house. Once you start actually reading what you've got or looking at it, it takes forever. So can I just and jump so in for a second on that one, Stephen? So like in kind of going back and looking at some of this stuff, is there anything that's kind of jumped out at you? You went, wow, that's something that I'd forgotten about the game or that's something that would be potentially useful for players or even for yourself if you're playing a game? Well, it's it's weird. I think I've definitely got both short and long-term memory loss. You know, I was seeing articles and variants that I'd written myself that I had no memory of whatsoever, which is a very strange thing to encounter. But it made me realise that the stuff that I put on Diplomacy Archive, for example, is is probably less than 10% of, of the stuff I've got. Um, and the only stuff I ever put onto Diplomacy Archive was stuff that was easy because I already had a, a, a document file that I could just copy paste, put a header on, put a few links in and that was it. 
So the amount of kind of content, content rich stuff I've got is massive. I mean, I've got hundreds, if not thousands of different articles about, about features about the game, some historical, some strategic or whatever. And it just made me realize what's actually publicly available is a small subset of all the stuff that was out there. I mean, the, the UK hobby was very different in tone from the US hobby even though the US hobby was probably five or six times bigger. Um, American postal zines tended to be more like warehouse scenes, where there'd just be a long list of game reports, mm -hmm. and maybe a, a one, an editorial, and then 20 pages of game reports. UK zines came out of a science fiction tradition um, of, you know, short stories and articles. So UK zines tended to be far more non-game report content. So far more articles, far more variants, far more chat, bigger letter columns, that sort of stuff. So in the UK archive, there, there is an immense amount of material, which I, which I think some of which would be of interest to people. The other thing that I have is uh, the North American Variant Bank currently, believe it or not, sits with me in the UK because the, the chap who ran the North American Variant Bank in the 90s couldn't find anywhere in North America to take it over. Nobody wanted it. So he sent it over to me. So I'm probably sitting on about 1,600 variants, three quarters of which aren't on the internet and have never been. So that made me think, well, I, I started to put them up with the Variant Bank website and I put up the easy ones that I had already digital kind of copies of. But, you know, with a nice high-tech scanner, there's no reason in principle why I couldn't put all 14, 1,500 up. And you know, as um, I, I was retired when COVID hit, I, I was made redundant. I'm far too old to think about getting another job. So I thought, well, maybe before I hand all this over to the British Library, it would be quite fun to scan everything and, and put it back onto the internet. Um, storage is a lot cheaper now than it used to be, so why not go for it? So that's how I got back into it, basically trying to get rid of it. Can can, can I jump in there? I, yeah, please I, do. Um, I'll just give a little bit of a little bit of um, close backstory. I, I jumped back into uh, the internet and ended up getting um, started back on the diplomacy with the website Diplomacy Two Thousand, which was an email um, based. Ah, uh, Tom Tom Tweeting. Yeah, that's right. I think Manus Hand as well was involved with that. Yeah, well, t Tom, who originally set it up, was was a really good friend of mine. He, you know, he was playing in my diplomacy zine back in the seventies. Um, and I'm ashamed to admit, I knew Tom before he died, what, 2000, I can't remember when he died, it was in the early 2000s, or, or around about two, 2002, yeah, I think. Yeah, it was around um, I, I knew him and his wife very well, but I never met them. I, I talked to them on the phone quite a lot, we exchanged a lot of letters. And Tom had been an army diver in, in diffusing uh, bombs under the water. And he'd been shot by a sniper in Northern Ireland and was confined to a wheelchair. And I only discovered that entire backstory after he was, after he was dead, which I thought was a great shame. Um, but anyway, I digress. But yeah, Diplomacy 2000 was a great site. It was kind of starting to be a halfway house between the postal world and the, the electronic world. Yeah, it definitely filled that gap. Um, the, the reason I bring that up is that um, one of my... 
uh, first areas of just exploring what was out there in the world of diplomacy was actually coming across the Diplomacy Archive and the Variant Bank. And I've been very familiar with both of those for, for quite some time. And, you know, it just astounds me that you you know, that you've like 10% of all of what you have is sitting on Diplomacy Archive. I can't imagine like all of that valuable information in addition to that. Um, and, and also like my own pet love um, with, with variants to hear that, you know, 1400 to 1500-ish sitting there in hard copy Wow! Like I, I, I spend most of my time on um, B diplomacy, which is kind of the spiritual successor of um, the variant bank, where we've tried to basically digitise as many variants as we can get our hands on from the variant bank and make them playable to players today. I just, it just kind of, it, it boggles my mind. I'm just really so excited. I'd love to get my hands on some of these. Yeah, things. yeah. I have to remember what's on those two sites. I probably put up in the space of about six months. I mean, I didn't spend very long on it. And it's it's largely stuff that was easy for me to put up. Um, I, I didn't really, in those days, I didn't really have a good enough scanner. And, you know, scanners, the technology wasn't there. It took far too long. And, yeah, I have, I, I reckon on both those sites, probably 90% of the material I've got sitting here is, is not there. Uh, it, it was literally the easy stuff. So it wasn't even the best stuff. It was the stuff that was easy. And that, that's why it, it bemused me when I kind of rediscovered the online variant hobby is how few variants people are playing and looking at. Because I was used to a world where there were hundreds and hundreds of variants. Yeah, some of them were rubbish. I mean, because they, they, they didn't have enough thought in them. But there's some of them are really, really good. So, so t take you now probably one of the best, if slightly complicated variants, Makata, went through many revisions, got perfected. Uh, I've never seen that being played online at all. And I suspect it's because it, it's too complicated for any sort of computerized adjudication. You'd have to write a whole new software program for it. But there are a lot of variants that are incredibly popular in the postal world that aren't necessarily even available in the current world. Uh, people seem to play the similar variants and perfect them and perfect them and perfect them. Whereas in the postal world, you had a good idea, you put it out there, if you got a game start you were lucky, then you moved on to the next idea. So you didn't do kind of 20 refinements to one game. And people who designed variants didn't just do one or two games and perfect them. They did 20 games. And maybe 10 of them were rubbish, but 10 of them might have been okay. And you know, it, it, I guess it was, it was, it, it's a bit like music. You know, in the 60s, the, Be the Beatles discovered, you know, two tracking, four tracking, doing things. The, the 60s and 70s in the diplomacy world were a bit like that. There was nothing before, so everything was new. Whereas now, a lot of that's been lost, but the, the focus has moved on to getting the perfect playable variant. Well, for me, the fun was always drawing the map anyway. So why do you think, Stephen, things have changed? What was different back then with the, uh, the, the fact that variants were so popular and, and you know, people were prepared just to give anything a go compared to now where it's a lot more, you know, it's a smaller number, 
uh, and there is there is there is definitely and I'm not saying it's right or wrong but there's definitely a number of players that say look I just like the, the normal pure classic game of diplomacy and and that that's what I like what was different back then from your perspective and your recollections at the time I, I think it's the fact that you know if, if if you decided to do for example a diplomacy variant about the breakup of the Ottoman Empire after the First World War nobody would have done it before so you had a clean sheet of paper and you could put your own idea out there and certainly 70s 80s and 90s you know there'd be a couple of new variants being published you know every month which over time equates to quite a lot of variants um, most of them didn't get game starts because you know to find seven eight nine people in a postal world was quite difficult because uh, not everyone liked variants uh, I, I'm, I'm just simply struck by the the internet variant community seems to be around a relatively small number of games compared to what, what it used to be um, I, I, I don't know, maybe if I can get the other 1,400 uploaded, we might see people playing some of the other ones or looking at some of the other ones. That'd be quite fun. Yeah, look, I think there is a certain amount of, um, as you've touched on before, the way the software works, it doesn't really matter which platform you're talking about. There's certain fundamentals, which is like you can have an army and you can have a fleet and you can't all of a sudden have an air force on top of that. You can't have three type of things. So the software doesn't really generally provide for that. Or, or something similar and where you have people who do something different you're essentially you're hacking the code um, so I think you'll find that there has been a, a certain limited amount and, and you'll find that some websites are very much you know web dip, web diplomacy is really mostly about the classic game with probably you know uh, half a dozen different variants uh, play diplomacy the if you want to play the free version you just get the the normal classic game if you want to play variants you've got to you know pay a subscription v diplomacy i think there's what came are about 100 150 versions there but it has been limited by the fact that the admin for the website has had other priorities and hasn't necessarily been able to kind of you know we had a lot of growth you know 10 five years ago and now that's really kind of you know ground to an absolute halt so there have been certain limitations. I don't think it's due to a lack of willingness. Kana uh, and I, when we coach, because I don't know, Stephen, if you've listened to some of the podcasts we've recorded previously, but unfortunately, we usually record, you know, we'll have an interview with you both, you know, now, and it's, it's quite lucid. And usually we will then kind of go off to a pub and, and drink before the interview. We'll talk about the interview afterwards and we'll drink some more. So usually by that point of time, we start kind of getting a little bit, um, a little bit inebriated. And, and, <laughs> and often then you know we'll get down in our cups we'll start talking about these crazy ideas and like Kana is an example has a wonderful variant you know called um called squirrel wars um so you know th there is this there's still definitely an i there's still many people out there that have ideas and many much better variant uh, creators than ourselves because both of us have um either ported across variants that are in the variant bank uh, to V diplomacy or have created variants from scratch, but you're 100 percent correct. I mean, things have the momentum has definitely changed, and there has been probably a number of reasons for that over time. Well, I remember the first um, it, I was running 20 games of regular diplomacy in in my zine in the in the mid 90s, and of course in those days adjudicating them all by hand, and so I got a friend 
uh, to write an adjudication program uh, for me because basically I'm incredibly lazy. And the idea you type in the orders and it produces a game report was brilliant. And then I got into, you know, attach a map file. And th that basic software, which is actually still available on, on like, diplomacyarchive.com, um, allows effectively for any map change variant. So you can increase the number of players, but the core rules stay the same. So I think what you've described means that you can have simple variants that just got a different map. But some of the most popular and indeed some of the best variants don't fit that model. So abstraction, where you can combine armies and fleets to move further distances on a bigger, more detailed map. Multiplicity, where you can have multiple units and merge units, which actually means that you don't have stalemate lines. If you can merge a unit and create a, a two army or a three army, you can break through any stalemate line. So it actually gives the game a very different feel. Mm. And then you had the more light-hearted variants that were incredibly popular. I, mean, I don't know if either of you know of a, a variant called Vain Rats. Vain Rats was a normal diplomacy game, but each player had a superpower. And it would be a different superpower for each player, like, like a superhero. So, you know, one superpower may be every, every two years you could destroy an enemy unit randomly. Or, or you may have random events happening in the game, like black holes opening up. A game I actually played many times postally is called Deluge, where actually it's, it's very opposite because it is basically global warming. What happens is that um, as you play the regular diplomacy game, the board gradually floods from the outside in. And uh, in 1905, Switzerland becomes passable. And at the end of the game, all that's left is Switzerland, and the winner is the person who's got a unit in Switzerland. <laughs> you know, all that ingenuity is just not there anymore the sense of fun because people are more confined to all these software adjudication stuff Stephen can I, I, can I just jump in for a second I'm just I'm just amazed at the correlation between what you've said and some of the personal crap that Kane and I have talked about over the years so um, you talked about what was it Super Rats Vain Rats Vain called, Rats yeah. So Kana has actually developed a game called Rat Wars. So that, that's one, and I'll, I'll kind of, Kana, you that's can jump. Shock. It's a shock. It's a terrible thing. <laughs> I, I, I think there's um, that there's an actual variant on play diplomacy where they do have random events occur on a, on a board. They, they have coded in some. Well, I was going to say, for example, I've also created a variant called called Pirates, which actually has a, a hurricane as a non-playing player. Which can randomly turn up in any given like spring, and then where it'll then move to a random yeah. adjacent unit in the fall, and has like a, a strength of a hundred. So it doesn't matter if if a unit is supporting another unit, it'll kind of basically get dislodged and whatever like that. And if it happens to be over a supply center, it effectively you know occupies that supply center and then disbands yeah. during during the uh, the winter phase. Um, and the the last thing you kind of said. I've been talking for, for years to Kana about two other versions. One is about called Global Warming, which literally is played on a flooded map of the world. Another version called Ice Age, which is, you know, where you've got glaciers that are kind of restricting movement across the board. But I love I, the I, idea of what you just said around, you know, at the end of the day, you get to a point where it's only Switzerland's available. That's fantastic. And another game that I used to really enjoy is called Geophysical Diplomacy 
whereby in, in addition to the normal moves on the map, you could do things like create an earthquake or create a mountain range and actually change or fill a sea space in, in with land. And so the board mutated as the game was played. And, you know, it, yeah, it's fun. You know, it's meant to entertain. It's not meant to be a, a, a competitive tournament sort of environment. And it, I just think it's nice that you can go from variants which are improving regular to, you know, a, a different spin on a different game, but really a serious, serious game, historical scenarios, but then the fun stuff as well. Do you think... And I guess the more... Sorry. I was going to say, do you think the games... Sorry, that players have become too serious about the game and about rankings and reputation and things like that versus just having fun absolutely and i think part of that is encouraged by all these websites where they're just a mechanism for playing the game if 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 the only thing you're getting out of it is the result in the game that's what you're doing it for that's what you care about was if you've got a magazine that turns up every three or four weeks you've got relationships with the other people You've got like a community discussion letter column thing, and you've got you know article. It's far more of a community having fun feel rather than uh, I've got to get my ranking up. We didn't have rankings anyway. You know, rankings are only there as a way of kicking off people who are unreliable. Ultimately, I mean, originally they were there to to weed out the people who are just totally unreliable. But in a world where people know your real name and your real address, if you start dropping out of games, you know. You don't get into games. So and there's nowhere to hide. Just, I mean, give, giving players who've, who've obviously have, have been playing post, you know, the year 2000 as an example, what would be in any, you know, given zine that was being published in the 70s, 80s, 90s, what would what would a reader generally expect to, to see in that? Well, the sort of magazine I did, and we had an annual zine poll, which, which I won... I think three times, though not as much as people like Richard Sharp did. You'd start, you'd, typically you'd have some sort of editorial on what's going on in the hobby, you know, that sort of stuff. You then might have a, a review of a, of, of a con which you'd gone on somewhere, or a house meet or whatever. You'd then have a letter column. Letter columns could be 10, 12 pages long. They could be pretty substantial. Wow. You know, and that would be everything about from diplomacy to what you thought of Margaret Thatcher, blah, blah, blah. You know, it could be absolutely anything. Um, you then probably get a ver- set of variant rules for a new variant that, that one of the subscribers of the editor had created. You might get a strategy article. You'd probably get a game which was played by every subscriber to the magazine. So, so I, I, I had a game running called Cannibalism, which was kind of a diplomacy variant. But imagine, uh, imagine this. It's a, bit, a, a big island. Every single subscriber to the magazine is on the map somewhere. And basically, you go around making alliances and eating the other players. The game was called Cannibalism. And the idea was to be the last person left alive at the end of the game, who'd eaten effectively, one way or another, all the other players. So you get involvement of people, even if they weren't playing a diplomacy game. And then you probably get the game reports, you know, which might only be 20, 25% of the whole magazine. And that that is far more like subscribing to a magazine than playing a diplomacy game where you get 48 hours to get your orders in and all that sort of stuff. It's just a different focus, a different sort of world. And that seems to have almost completely gone because 
even if you, you know, go onto a, a Discord server or something, it's all become little islands of people just playing the game. And I think that's a shame. There's no sense of real sense of community. Where's where's your your village square where all the voices get together and have a real discussion? It, it's it's become either websites which are highly mechanistic, or it's become little small communities just talking to themselves. I think that's a shame. There's there's no one ring to bind them all. They're all all over, all over the place. From my this is just coming back after 20 years. That's how it feels. Um, see, what I'd like to do is start a postal diplomacy magazine again. But wh where on earth do I find um, another seven people who who are happy to get a magazine every three or four weeks? You know, the the world has rather moved on, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it it's interesting. I think part of that reasoning is why Ambie and I got together in the first place um, and decided about of doing a podcast was um, we just caught up one day, enjoyed having a conversation around the game, and decided we'd you know start sharing our thoughts um, about it more generally. Um, I mean, I guess one could argue that uh, the forums that sit in each of these websites would be the you know the town square, but it doesn't sort of ring the same as what you're talking about in the sense that you know there's that, that that structured magazine kind of or zine structure with the editorial through to varying articles and then finalizing with game reports and a letter a contribution uh, you know thrown into the mix um, and you have to remember most people probably subscribe to five six magazines yeah. and at any time there were probably 40 or 50 of course all the editors traded with each other their magazines for free so you'd send out I would, I would send out 50 zines to other editors but every month I'd get 50 in which is because I, I put the archive together but the fact that the subscribers were seeing multiple magazines and the fact that the editors were seeing all the magazines meant there was far more cohesion because there were cross magazine conversations whereas online you do have those forums, but they don't interact really. You know, people tend to play on one site. They don't really know what's going on some somewhere else necessarily. Yeah, and those cross-server things. I mean, even in the time since I've started playing, and I started, as I was saying, um, you know, in the two thousands, um, really online. It, the, the whole it has shifted for me. And it's gone from um, being a, a, a email-based hand adjudication thing through to um, brief judges um, doing adjudications through to a website ho hosting um, games with a forum. And I'm sort of seeing another iteration kind of occurring again, going into Discord servers and um, those sort of live events run through through uh, that, that Discord kind of um, world. Um, and, and I imagine it, it, it'd be a huge um, jump from, you know, going from uh, 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 like letter-based letter writing of, of these things um, all the way through to, 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 you know, the current iteration, which is, you know, sort of seems to be Discord. 
slash website based and there's where's the communication between them yeah i think there's key individuals who perform that act in their way um but unless you're connected to those individuals in the world of uh in in that hobby it, it could be you know like for instance the diplomacy broadcast network who do their um youtube um stuff around what's happening in the world of diplomacy through to uh, the diplomacy briefing which is like a weekly email mini zine i suppose for want of a better yeah. thing um that, that that whole evolution is is of the hobby is really interesting in and of itself that it has well, moved that way uh, and you know you could say that's progress and but but most people when they get to my age always regard things as being better 20 or 30 years ago uh, uh you know especially it's, it's music not just your age Stephen. <laughs> uh, okay at, 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 at any age but in, in a way we've gone from my point of view we've gone from a world where things were more handcrafted more artisan and a bit a bit a bit more light-hearted to a world where things have been completely commoditized uh, and a lot of the, the 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 websites just do a commoditized game of diplomacy and for me I guess it was never 100% about the game it was actually about meeting people in the community and remember the UK is a lot smaller than Australia um, a good proportion of the UK hobby was based in or worked in London so you know there were there were regular hobby meets in pubs to get pissed to talk about diplomacy oh, and you may have or, and you may have six you know, <laughs> six or seven editors there from zines who would then go back and write in their zines about what was talked about and so on and it was far more of a, a big conversation I, I just think that's completely lacking. From, from, I, I'm really from. disappointed that the two and a half years that I lived and worked in the UK, predominantly around London, I never found one of these pubs where people came together, got pissed and talked about diplomacy. Um, I, 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 will br- <laughs> I, I will briefly kind of mention, I, I will have to excuse myself for a moment, but I do want both yourself and Canada to keep talking. I have found that there's a fly in my wine. Uh, and I just need to kind of uh, dispose of well, said how, fly and, and replace it. You should fish it out very carefully. You know, it's got a right to life too. You know. It's oh, it's it's the... well and truly passed by now, Stephen. It's uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like someone who's kind of you know had to fall on their sword in like about nine hundred and two or nine hundred and three, and they're out of the game already. So. Um, um, I, th- I thought you Australian chaps were really macho. You just down it. You know, it's all protein. Maybe, maybe in, in in a lager that might be the case, uh, but probably not not in that. Not <laughs> this is this is a, actually a Sicilian red, so um, we will dispose of that. But please continue going on, and I do have some questions for you still. But uh, I'm sure Kana has some more things to ask. But I'll keep the recording going whilst I just uh, dispose of said fly. Okay, Kana, how? I mean, I, I don't know to what extent what I've said is even you know true or relevant it's just me coming back after 20 years but well, no, how, how is an interesting perspective i'm not i don't want to yeah i don't want to you know feel like i'm i'm, I'm coming at it from a, a defensive point of view i'm finding it really fascinating because as you say 20 years and then coming back to it you're seeing all of this change which has really occurred and then that itself is fascinating to get that glimpse I mean, I, I, I don't know if, if it's possible to maybe to have 
a world where you actually have more choice rather than less. And I just get the impression that people have less choice in how they interact and play with the game now than they maybe they did ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah, so, well, the type of choices have changed. You know, I mean, it, it's a case of. I mean, you're, you're probably what you're experiencing. I, if I want, if, if I can put a metaphor onto it, I guess is the, um, you know, those the people who have stayed with it over that period of time is, is kind of like a, the frog in that boiling kettle of water. And, and it's just changed gradually over that period and they've not really noticed it. And you'll come back and you're going, hey, that's hot. That's hot water that you're sitting in. Or that's that's different to what it was. Yeah, but because uh, the, the generation that started kind of playing diplomacy other than face-to-face -face are probably about 10 years older than me. Uh, people who started zines in the late 60s, early 70s. And in the last 20 years, most of them have, a lot of them have died. And uh, pe the people like Richard Walkerdine and Richard Sharp and John Piggott and uh, you know, the early pioneers, at least in the UK. And in the US, a lot of their early pioneers uh, have sadly died as well. And of course, Alan Callum himself has died. And so that's all kind of gone uh, in, in a way. Um, I would love to find a, yeah, an audience, if I could find an audience, say 20 people who'd be happy to play diplomacy to three or four week deadlines, or, or even, you know, you could play it to faster deadlines, but just report it in a magazine once a month, maybe a whole year. I'd, I'd just like to have get some of that community feel back. Um, that'd be quite fun. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there'd be people out there willing to give it a go if you were to jump on some of these websites and advertise and say, hey, this is what I want to run. Who's interested? And it's, it's particularly good for variants because you can have far more interesting variants if you're not reliant on adjudication software. Yeah. Um, I know David um, Cohen, he, he um, <coughs> is a variant creator. He, he um, runs email um, at, at, at games. It might be worthwhile reaching out to him and asking how what his no, experience is. No, I mean, I, I, I know David. I mean, I, David must have joined the hobby round about 2000, I think, round about when I, I overlapped into the internet age a little bit. Uh, but even then, it was mainly run around uh, Rec Games Diplomacy News Group, which I don't know if that's archived anywhere. And there was a Yahoo variant group um, so it was still done through that sort of mechanism, but yeah, I think I might I, I, see. There's a, a Facebook forum, which you guys will probably never come across. It's called something like uh, UK Postal Xenol Duffers, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and it's it's probably got a couple of hundred members, and they tend to be people of my age, so I'm 62, um, who were active in the 80s and the 90s and so on and are now far too grown up to play diplomacy anymore. But I, I, I put a posting there and said, look, you know, for old times sake, why don't we get at least one game of postal diplomacy going? And out of 200 people, I got two people who are interested. Oh, really? That's terrible. Yeah. The, the, everyone's life just moved. And they all said, well, what do you want to play diplomacy for? It's, you know, it's it's a horrible game and you're blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> And I, so I think it's a shame. I think I'll keep trying, but it might take a while. Can I actually ask a question? Sorry, I'm back, obviously. Um, so, Stephen, thinking back to, you know, when you, you were playing by post in the 70s or whatever like that, I know Kana in the past has talked around 
that period of time in the game's, you know, evolution. What were things like back then? And how did you actually get into the game in the first place, by the way? Well, the, the key in the UK to the whole diplomacy hobby was that the uh, Gibsons and Philmar, who produced diplomacy, uh, agreed to put um, a flyer in the diplomacy box saying, you know, diplomacy's played, you know, through amateur magazines. If you're interested, write to this address. Which meant there was a steady stream of, you know, 10 to 20 people every month wanting to play their first game of personal diplomacy. And so that that gave a very strong kind of just stream of people. And that the hobby, the hobbies and microcosms, all sorts of things. So um, we had something called the National Games Club. Originally, it was the British Diplomacy Club, then the National Games Club, because people said, why is it just diplomacy? You know, why is it not other stuff? And that then for, allowed an organization to put game starts together and then hand the game starts out to the to the amateur magazines. So you get if you run a magazine, you get a game start every few months of new people. Mm-hmm. And so it's a steady stream of, of new people. Because over time, as the game was bought less and less, of course that, that d- d- died up, dried up. But uh, I mean, <clears throat> you had the National Games Club. So of course, being human beings, you then had to have a rival organization spring up. So we, we we had the IDA, which came over from America into the UK. And so we then had kind of organizational wars for 10 years as the two organizations had hobby politics and disagreed with each other and voted in each other's elections and so on. And great fun. Uh, it was it was quite a feud-based hobby as well. So you'd have some zine editors who constantly needled the, another zine editor they really didn't like. So you'd have constant kind of effect, you know, the sort of flame wars that you may get on the internet now, but in a postal fashion. So, none, so and every, everything, of, everything old is new again. Absolutely. It's, it, none of it, except because it was written down postally, the insults tend to be far cleverer and far more well thought out. Mm. So uh, someone like Richard Sharp was you know, incredibly caustic in print. It was, but it was, it was a mark of honour to get Richard Shop to attack you in his magazine, you know, it was, you know, <laughs> something that everyone aspired to was to be slagged off by Richard. Have you both read Richard's book on diplomacy? I, I have. I haven't. I've downloaded the PDF and never got around to reading it. <laughs> ah, you, some, if, if you read the bits which aren't about Turkish opening strategy and boring shit like that, if you read the bits about things that went on in the hobby, you know, so for, um, what you can do, so you get someone who might do a fake zine, send it to one person in the game he's in with a fake game report to get him to misorder the following season because he's actually got the wrong adjudication. You know, people did that sort of stuff. Uh, it was it was really quite nefarious because the telephone disrupted all the postal games, so people would do a lot of negotiations on the telephone. Oh, so an email. So, so it wasn't postal was just the mechanics mechanics for delivering the game report. So talking about the mechanics, take us back to back then. Like like if you if you were playing like 10, 20 games, how are you actually physically keeping record of who's saying what to the other? What does the board look like based on the last adjudication? Just just explain a little bit around what that that was like at the time. 
Well, the, no the normal way of doing it is obviously you've always got the last game report from the zine, which in latter days had, had pictures. Remember, the early zines were all Mimeo, stencil duplicated, so you tended not to get pictures and maps and things. But all you do is you simply get a folder, and every letter you got, you'd put it into the folder in chronological order. And, you, you know, you'd actually have to keep a file. You know, can you imagine, like, a file of for a diplomacy game? And if you're playing in 20, you'd have 20 files. You know, it's, it's a clerical exercise, effectively. But it was, it, it was it, fun. It set it was, you up for a career in the Royal Mail. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, th I think it, prob it probably did. But I suppose I always liked the, the creating of a magazine almost more than playing the game. I mean, I actually like the physical editorial creation of something uh, and making it... You see, until word processors came along, of course, this is all typewritten on typewriters, you know, so it took forever. And if you're doing the stencil, you know, you had to correct the stencil, stencil correction fluid. And then you got into litho, you had, you, had, you know, no, you could kind of, uh, you could tip exit out. And, you know, it's too easy now because everything's done for you. The games are adjudicated automatically. It's all just there. Um, so, you know, you, you talked about the, that back catalogue that you've got that you're going to be providing to the British Library. Is, is it literally like that where you've got Tipex or I think as I'm trying to remember what we call it in Australia or in America. It's like liquid paper or whatever like that, you know, where, where you've kind of editions have kind of corrected what someone has typed or... Well, the first the first scene in this country would be about sixty nine, uh, and that was Mimeo. So you're typing on the stencils, but you also had people who were doing zines on spirit duplicators, uh, and sadly, most the hallmark of a spirit duplicator is that over time it fades and it's almost impossible to read. Uh, so some of them may have decayed past past being read, but then you had offset light though that came in in the mid-70s, but it was incredibly expensive because you're talking about print runs of maybe a hundred and offset litho, all the cost is setting up the plate. So most people couldn't afford offset litho, it was, it was not economical for small print runs. So until word processors hit round about the late 80s, everything was done typing on the stencils with, with typewriters. Uh, I still remember the smell of the stencil correction fluid. It was wonderful. You could get so high on it. It was, it, as a teenager, I used to frequently take the top off the stencil correction fluid and have a good sniff. It was wonderful. Um, it, so so this is why your parents are going, oh, so that's why he's into diplomacy. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I was one of the few zines, even as a teenager, that were photocopied because my father probably did it illegally at work. Uh, so I managed to get around that. But in those days, photocopiers were really expensive. They didn't even use, they didn't even use ordinary paper, use special paper. Um, technology's just moved on a lot. But I mean, what I'd really like to do over the next year or so is actually take all that content, which is actually of, of a lasting appeal, probably mainly the zines and the articles, and actually put it somewhere where someone, if they want to, can go and can go and look at it, uh, particularly the variants, because the variants have got some fun ideas, and you know, it'd be nice just to get them out there. So, look, I've got a question for you on that. So, um, you you may or may not be familiar with the Wikipedia entry around the game. 
So basically, it kind of talks about the folklore, you know what I mean? You know, JFK used to play this game in the White House, you know, it was the favorite game of Henry Kissinger, blah, blah, blah. And often the, the referencing for that is very, you know what I mean? Like it, it references like an article that someone wrote back in the 90s or, or a, um, in the case of Kissinger, a 1976 UK uh, publication called uh, Games and Puzzles or Puzzles and Games. And yeah, Games and was a monthly magazine. Okay. Um, which I think I've got a whole set of somewhere. Lucky you. So, um, I mean, I remember at the time being a bit of a, like yourself, self, and, and you know, and probably most diplomacy players, a bit of a, a bit of a nerd, you know, wanting to kind of do a little bit of research in this particular space and was trying to track down a copy of this particular publication. And the only way I could find it was actually in the British Museum. But because I'm not a UK citizen, you know, it's like, well, we can do that for you, but it's going to cost a squillion dollars or blah, blah, actually a squillion pounds. I was lucky enough that, that I have, based on the diplomacy community, someone who's in academia in America, who obviously has a, um, uh, a relationship between his university and the British Library and could access it via their records for free to be able to, you know, see actually what it said. But I guess my question for you, based on that very long background story, is if these things go into the British Library, what's what's the prospect for people other than, say, people in the UK to be able to access what you've collated and catalogued and so forth? Uh, I, th I think it would be quite difficult, to be honest, um, uh, because they, they, they will not have the money to digitise stuff like diplomacy magazines that they might want to save them post for posterity but it's going to be so far down the list of what they're bothered about which which is why I thought it would be quite fun to scan everything before I gave it to them and just put it on a website somewhere um, a bit, the trouble is that websites can be ephemeral so t take the variant bank which I, I did what, in 2000 it was based using a Microsoft front page as, as an editing tool and it, to save me time I put I uploaded them as a database so you could do searches on the database to, on different characteristics that used front page extensions which are part of the package which haven't been supported for 10 years so a large part of that site does not function because the technology to, to, to sort and retrieve the rules doesn't exist anymore and so no people have emailed me over the years saying it doesn't work and I'm saying yeah no it doesn't work I've done how to fix it so sorry so one of the things I'm doing is I'm taking all of the content of the variant bank including the stuff people can't get to all of the content of diplomacy archive all of the content of another website that I did in 2008 which is basically zine PDFs, archive of diplomacy scenes, and I'm putting all of that together into one new website which is based on WordPress which is not the current technology where everything will be in one place and then I would hope by Christmas I'll have ported over the content of all three of those websites into one place and then I'll start adding new stuff to it but first I've got to save the old stuff 
if, if, if you follow me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and particularly the variant bank because it's a based on technology that doesn't work anymore. So if, if any listeners at the moment um, to the podcast go, either they have old zines that you know presumably aren't in the UK space that you know you've got a good access to or whatever like that, or they've got other information that, that might be valuable to your overarching project, is there a way that they can kind of get in touch with you to also include that as part of what you're doing? Well, I mean, all the, there's a big American zine archive. Um, I forget which university it's at, um, but that's been kind of the, the, the Hoosier archive, as it was called, has gone to, to a university. And I think that is potentially searchable. I think yeah, you might be able yeah. to get I, I think, I think there, there is somebody definitely who writes for the diplomacy briefing who's kind of gone through all that or has gone through a, a fair whack of that stuff and is kind of finding these nuggets of gold written in the 70s and 80s and kind of bringing him back now for a, a contemporary reader. Now, this is going to sound terrible, but the trouble with uh, this, I, I apologize to all my American friends, the trouble with most American diplomacy zines is they're incredibly dull. Uh, they, 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 they come out of a more of a. Some of that hobby came from science fiction. Some of it came from wargaming. Ultimately, the wargaming side won, and they are really dull people. I mean, it's all game reports. You know, you get a great guy like Jim Burgess, who I re, who I really liked. Sadly, sadly, passed now. Uh, Abyssinian Prince scene went on for hundreds, hundreds of issues. Good letter column. But then masses and masses and masses of game reports. Then the nice thing about the UK hobby is most of it is chat. It's interaction. It's letters. It's 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 more lively, and not none of that, of course, is in that American collection because before it went to the university, they stripped out all the UK zines and gave them to me, which is very I'm very pleased they did because the very first UK zine was in the American collection. We didn't have it in the UK anymore because Don only did eight copies. Um, so I'm hoping that actually there's probably even more creative stuff that I've got that, that I could get out there. Uh, also, I want to document the hobby. You know, I want to document the people who were really big characters who are sadly no longer with us. I think it's it's a shame if someone who's... Re take Richard Sharp. He even won the UK Scrabble Championship one year. Uh, he's written books. He's written books about games, books about diplomacy, a, a lot, a lot of stuff that he created. There's practically no, no, he's no web presence hardly at all, other than perhaps the the copy of his book which I put on my website. Now I'd actually like some sort of recollection and memory of all those guys as well of what went before. So I'd I'd actually like to get the history of it all out there. Um, so I think, that, and also it's a nice retirement project, isn't it? You know, my wife's still going out to work. I kind of get up quite late, don't really do a lot, go out for lunch, don't really do a lot. Then she comes home. So maybe it would give me give me a bit more of a focus. And also, I do have about sixty to seventy boxes of diplomacy zines, and I want to get rid of them because you know we want to downsize and retire properly. You can't continue to go through your life carrying around 70 boxes of diplomacy zines. You know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a burden. So if I actually scan them all to enable me to get rid of them, it's a win-win because the hobby gets access to them and I get rid of them. 
and I thought that was a good way going forward. The, 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 the variant archive is a lot easier because it's probably only about 10 lever arch files, so that's not so bad. But the zines really are a massive quantity of paper. Um, and they need to be kept somewhere properly, you know, air conditioned and, and so on. And I don't think, I don't think they'll last that long where, where, if they stay with me. So can I can if I if I start a zine, can I at least say I've got two subscribers in YouTube? Oh, you got me. You got yeah. to think about the international postage. But um... <laughs> well, well, you know that, that that that's fine because you could you can have a PDF to stay immediately up to date, and then it can turn up in the post a week later. Yeah, oh, I'm up for it, absolutely, um, and I'm absolutely super excited to you know get get a get a glimpse at some of that history that, that that's hidden there, that hidden history that to this point it's only really been scratched on um, in our conversations with guys who have um, been involved with the hobby for a period of time. It's never I've never glimpsed it, like actually looked at some of that stuff. I'm really super excited to see some of it, Stephen. Oh. Have a look at um, one of the things that is up there. It's it, I, I, I'm putting everything together under Diplomacy Zines Co UK, just because I happen to own the domain, so I thought I'd do that. Uh, but the whole uh, Variant Bank catalogue is up there of, of of all the variants and the classifications. If there's anything you'd like to see or are interested in, just let me know, and, and I'll. Put out there, or, or, or give to you stuff that, that, that you're interested in. What What do um, people who've obviously variants have been created, you know, subsequent to creating the variant bank? How do they get that included in the mix? I.e., you know, some things that you know, Kara and I have done, and many others. Well, I, th I think I was pretty good at keeping it up to date as, as to what was available up to about 2002 when real life intervened and I really stopped doing any of this diplomacy stuff. Uh, anything after 2002, I won't have a clue about. Uh, so I, I need to work with people to actually pull together what has been created and to add that as well. But it's inter it's interesting, isn't it? Now, the postal hobby was really good at keeping track of everything, keeping a copy of everything. If you try and get a copy of every diplomacy event uh, variant on the internet in the last 20 years because of this fragmentation it's actually really hard mm. because a diplomacy variant may only exist in one group or one server and nobody else knows about it and th that couldn't have happened in the old postal world because it was visible to everyone uh, so I think it could be quite quite, quite difficult but I mean um, I'm working with a, a chap on uh, on Discord to try and track down all the variants there, but I, you know, may, maybe we need to put together two or three variant enthusiasts to say, let's try and make a list of everything right from the beginning to the present day and keep track of it all, because even the versions of variants that were rubbish and that led to the next one, you know, I still think they're worth archiving. You know, and some of the, the more successful variants in the postal world you know, got to 14 or 15 different versions of it. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep copies of all of them. Um, so I, I don't know how to do it because I'm, I'm a novice, a newcomer when it comes to how the modern diplomacy world works. And so I don't even know which stone to look under, where to find things. Um, 
because yeah you're you know some of the sites do have 10 or 20 variants you can go and look at them they tend to be the same ones but the the, the more original ones the one-offs how do you how do you find them I, I don't know you just need to know the right people unfortunately um Stephen just last quick question from my point of view um I mean obviously you're very much involved in in how do you preserve and conserve that that heritage in the game and what's happened and up to this point of time have you played much at all since retiring or have you got plans to retire or oh, sorry plans to play uh, the last game i played was a diplomacy world demonstration game about three or four years ago um which uh, and 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 I, could, I was playing Turkey. I seem to remember, and there was an England-French alliance totally dominating the board that wouldn't be split up at all. And so I I just constructed a little fifteen-center uh, stalemate line, and then the other two players they actually had to stab each other to if they wanted to win the game because they couldn't ever get to you know the, the victory requirement. And they wouldn't stab each other, so it ended up as a five-way draw. How dull is that? But I suppose at least it taught people the virtue of knowing where all the stalemate lines are. Absolutely. I do like, do like how you say a little 15-centre supply, supply set of stalemate line. Um, well, not too any, little. Any serious, but any serious player needs to know where the minority stalemate lines are on, 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 the, on the map. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Alan didn't really get stalemate lines. He never really thought about them when he did the map. Uh, Switzerland is a massive problem to stalemate lines because nearly all the stalemate lines pivot around Switzerland because it's so because it's impassable. He could have designed out stalemate lines so easily had he chosen to do it. It didn't even occur to him. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a shame he's gone. I don't think we ever really got more enough out of, out of Alan. Did you, um, ever, did you ever meet him? I, I never met, I sadly never met him. I corresponded with him a lot, and we were on each other's Christmas card list until he died. So I've got lots of Christmas cards oh, wow. from, from him. Um, you could definitely put uh, those in the archive. Oh, yeah, well, maybe. I mean, my, my most prized possession from a diplomacy point of view is in the early days of eBay. You know, I'm talking about, but you know, no, really the early days of eBay. I, I bought. Uh, one of the sets that Alan handmade. He originally made 500 uh, before, before he had a contract. So, so I've got one of his his handmade sets with his 1959 rules, which uh, are very rudimentary compared to what came later. And it's one of those sets where the, the pieces are all numbered <clears throat> because he envisaged a world where you'd say French first army to Rua and you know French second fleet to to Western Mediterranean Sea, it didn't dawn on him that you could use where a piece was to identify it. So all the original sets have got numbers on all the pieces. That's and, amazing. And, and it was it was clear this set was clearly bought by a teenager who bought with mail order, and he didn't understand some of the rules. And so there's then correspondence in the set between him and Alan trying to agree what the rules should be and what the outcome should be, which is which is fascinating. So I think I think. And the sad thing is, when I die, I'm sure my children will just put it in a skip. But, you know, that, that's what happens. Well, this is why the community is there for you, Stephen. I'm, I'm sure you'll find there's plenty of people out there who will uh, help take all that 
crap that what people sorry people outside of the community view as crap and actually you know actually value it for what it is well my wife can't understand why i have 28 copies of diplomacy because oh wow that's a lot doesn't everyone need a copy from every country in every edition i just thought that goes with like in the game. I think I've got only about four versions, so it's 28. Oh. Right? I feel like and then I feel got, very, very inadequate right now. Then you've got pirate versions. I mean, and I think it was Brazil that did a pirate version and all they changed, they put a supply centre in North Africa and claimed it was a different game. Uh, then you've got all the, 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 the board games that ripped the game off and just did a different map. I, mean, I, I obsessively, in the 90s, collected them all. So I really do need to uh, get a grip, really. Yeah, maybe maybe eBay calls. I'll, I'll sell them all and get rid of it. Well, it depends on how your retirement's going and, and where the market's at at the time. So uh, that that may be your, your your nest egg there that you know your wife doesn't need to know about. That's your that's your pub money. Um. You're, not, you're, not, you're not the secret um, purchaser of the Calhammer um, estate, are you, Stephen? No, I wish I was. Uh, sadly, I, I I didn't I, I I didn't get in there quick enough. Otherwise, I would have bought some of Alan's stuff. Um, it's the very early editions of Diplomacy. They never seem to come on the market. I mean, I've I've had a standing search on eBay for over twenty years, and that was the one I bought was the only one I've ever seen. So maybe maybe a lot of them have just been lost. You know. Because they came in plain brown cardboard packaging. There wasn't a proper box. Late 50s. If he only did 500, you know, I bet most of those are actually gone mm. by now. Which is a shame, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so, so, I mean, in having a correspondence w- with Alan all those, for all those years, um, with his passing, I mean, do you know, does the, does the family have any ongoing interest concerned with the game or they've just moved on or? I don't think so I, 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 I don't think he had much family left to be honest uh, he no I, 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 I sadly not I mean I, I think I think he, he did come up with a genuinely novel idea for a board game because up to that point board games tend to be a form of a race and they tended to be dice based and even the games that were more territorial based you know like, like risk tended to be dice based and games tended to be sequential you take turns mm-hmm. and i think i think i'm right in saying that diplomacy when it came out was unique in that it wasn't dice it wasn't taking turns and it was a simultaneous kind of resolution of a turn and I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for coming up with that concept. And it's it's a novel concept even now. Mm. I mean, modern board games have got away from the from the dice. I mean, I went to a games convention last weekend, my first also for 20 years. And that was weird because I didn't know the rules to anything. Whereas previously I didn't know the rules, rules to everything. And we couldn't even get seven people to have a game of diplomacy out of 200 people attending, which I thought was a shame. Um, but they've got rid of dice now in modern games, but they still have ter- largely have turn-based games, and they're still basically races or occupying an, an area of land. And I think Alan was, was a, 
a, a true inventor and he came up with some really new concepts and that was great so people should play more face-to-face -face diplomacy make a few enemies absolutely i think that's okay. a great way to end oh, wait a sec am i still there because i've seen to have frozen on my screen can you still hear me Stephen? No, okay, you're frozen, but I can certainly see Excellent, still great, here. great. Well, it, the fact that the technology is starting to fail in one area, I think that's that's the uh, the uh, the diplomacy god saying, time to wrap up the interview. Um, um, so, as you said before, it, yeah. if, if there's anything that anyone's got that they want to be able to share with you for that archive, what's the best way to do so? I, I occasionally have a look at uh, diplomacyzines.co.uk and over the next few weeks it, I'll fill up more content and then I'll start putting original content up there is there a list of the zines that I know I don't have from the UK archive it's not massive I, I've probably got 90-95% of it but you know there is the odd thing that has just disappeared and clearly even a PDF of the things that are missing would be would be really good to, to fill in all the gaps absolutely Cool. Um, Kane, and, do you have any last uh, quick... So, oh, sorry, Stephen, I didn't mean to catch off. Sorry. Fi final, final word for me, and if anybody is interested in playing a slow game of diplomacy through the medium of the internet and post, get in touch. And and, and how do they do that, Stephen? Do they, um, would you like them to let us know and we'll pass on their details, or do you no. have a, um, a, a spot on... Um, on diplomacy zines where they can well, reach out to you? Um, amongst the 15 or so email addresses I've got, um, God knows how I've got so many, but that's an, another story. Uh, the one that I, I use for diplomacy is pygmy1901 uh, at gmail.com. Pygmy, because Pygmy was my first diplomacy zine, and 1901 for obvious reasons. Um, so if anyone who emails pygmy1901 at gmail.com, you know, that, that would be great. And as soon as I get seven people, I will start probably the first post-diplomacy zine in the whole world for many years. <laughs> Brilliant. Resurrect it. <laughs> Love it. If vinyl can come back, I don't see why diplomacy zines can't. <laughs> Well, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Um, we might wrap things Great up. It has been fantastic to talk to you, and we've, we've really kind of touched on so many things that I know that Karen and I over the years have kind of discussed. It'd be great to have someone on who has this background, and it's wonderful to find someone who actually has that background. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. No, great. Thanks a lot. And next time, let's do it in face-to-face -face with some alcohol. <laughs> And we're back. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> um, I love that conversation. I always, maybe it's just because, you know, I'm a, I'm a history nerd. Yeah. But I love actually hearing about the history of the game from a, like a, from the, from the grassroots level, like what it was like yes. back then. Yes. Trying to play a game and trying to get your head around, how do I organise a game? And just having that, we've never really gone deep into that postal side of things as well. It, and played such a pivotal, huge part in the development of the hobby. Yeah. Um, and to have, just to hear that lived experience of how that worked and the excitement that must have um, existed in that space. Well, the whole community's built up around the postal zones. 
Speaking of that, before we go any further, it's really important um, that oh, yes, I absolutely. note uh, that the website that Stephen Agar was referring to is actually diplomacyzines.org.uk. So it's um, diplomacyzines.org.org.uk, um, which is the final resting place for UK zines, as it says on the on the website. So um, jump on, have a look at that. Um, I understand that Stephen's going to be updating that as he goes along in his archiving process. Yep. Um, great questions, by the way. Uh, 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 you know, yes, they're archiving all of those zines for a historical perspective, but especially given that the nature of UK zines captured so much of the community and so much of what um, what probably historians would say is that that hidden voice. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so, I mean, how wonderful is that, that the, that the, ga- the hobby of diplomacy has contributed in a yet another unexpected way to um, world affairs maybe or to 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 to, to, to the world. It's actually funny Kano. I thought at the time when we were talking to Stephen about this, it's kind of like this the, the similarity in my mind is it's kind of like a letters to the editor that you can kind of go back and see what people were thinking and saying at a particular point of time or in a thank you. Or in a <laughs> Or like in, in like private letter correspondence, you know, between right. people. Yes, yeah. And that they're both very different niches because like in a private letter correspondence, it's like, um, it's like considered to be one-on-one conversation. As, as and, close as, as possible. As close as yeah, possible. Yeah. And like letters to the editor, it's like one to many. This kind of provides a much more nuanced view of like one to some and and having it also in an environment where it's not just like you know news commentators are, aren't arguing but discussing debating certain things what the media was considering important of the day oh, yeah that's right it's around what the people in our community were contributing which were part of the broader community so so what a, what a thank you what an excellent way for it to um uh, uh, sorry, my um, the waitress just came and moved stuff. Um, that was fantastic. Yes, absolutely, and I'm thoroughly looking forward to um, to methodically. Like probably, actually, knowing me, I'll probably be more of a scatter shot um, perusal of the zines. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yep. And I think it's actually it's fantastic again that diplomacy is a wonderful game we all know that but it's also got a wonderful community behind it and often community members are only in a position to dip their, their feet in the water so to speak from time to time and I think it's great that people you know get into the game they have to take some time away from the game and then they come back to the game they may have to take some time away from the game and come back to the game and the same thing happens I think around those who are supporting that creative element Again, whether we're talking about YouTube channels or podcasts or zines, variant creation, or, or these, these websites Web. aimed at, at look, it's, it's like a library. Well, yes, it, it is. It you is. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's fantastic that Stephen did that. And I, and I remember, and I never For the actually, third time. I know. And I, <laughs> I never actually said this in the, in the interview, but I'm sure he's probably going to listen. Back when you and I were active variant developers and that was happening over in VDM, yes. I think I kind of emailed the variant bank at the time saying, 
very nicely and politely, of course. Like, I've got lots of variants over here over in VDIP. Would you like to include them? <laughs> and now I better understand why what that never happened. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. being ignored. It was just he was doing other things. And at the time, the focus was very much around a, you know, it's a, a percentage of a percentage that's actually available. Because you think about it, you know, there's so many variants theoretically available. That, that, that blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah, because... You know, the variant bank, when it was working, had gazillions of variants you could access. Like, there's lots and lots and lots of variants. You can still access it with the Wayback Archive. Yes. Um, Archive.org, by the way. Is that... Is that yeah. Yeah, you just type in whatever the variant bank URL is. But not all of the variants are actually accessible on the Wayback Archive, but you can go back and see the sort of comprehensive list of what was, what was there... Um, to be able to be accessed uh, on the variant bank um, and, and many of them do connect but some of them don't um, but to hear like that's only 10% I know wow and look we, and we've obviously talked recently around you know obviously that potential opportunity maybe around VDIP and WEDIP WebDIP working together to be able to better make variants coming on board again yes and it's just like mind-blowing that like we might have our own crazy ideas about you know squirrel wars and other things like that <laughs> but like there's <laughs> all, these, all these other bonkers diplomacy players over the years that have kind of created all these other massive amount of, of games that nobody plays the, the other thing I thought was really really fun around this and again maybe because I'm a bit of a variant nerd kind of like you but knowing that the game was so you know people there were certain people who obviously happy to play just the normal classic game but there seemed to be a lot more interest in variants a lot more fluid yeah and and lots of different rule changes and the way things worked and operated compared to we now kind of have a lot of our our thinking is constrained by what we know the engine the PHP engine and other things that actually can do yes Yes, and I'm not sure how we how we go about rectifying some of that um, because it's only people like David E. Cohen and others that are happy to run a you know an email game. Yes, who are still because has the, because in, and there's a hand adjudication basically. Yes, based on the core rule set and then whatever the rule set is for this particular game. Yes, but there seems to be that that creative element is not the not as good as it was that's really bad language yeah but have, have we have we framed our thinking have we created a box for ourselves in how we approach the hobby by virtue of relying on software to adjudicate multitudes of games and to very easily pick up a game, have we sacrificed an element of that um, fluidity of the game? Yep. Like, and, and is the game actually larger? Is, is the next question. Is the game... It, is the original game of diplomacy really just the, the skeleton, for want of a better word, for all of these other things which happen around the game that makes it happen. Yeah. And I'm kind of more and more leaning towards that. It's 
it's community, it's face-to-face, it's communications, it's um, content creators, it's taking the rules and playing with them, it's those philosophical and political discussions that erupt from time to time. It's those ongoing debates about how best to score the system. Right? It's the postal scenes. It's the history that's yeah. been caught because of the game. And yes, the game itself is beautiful. A wonderful, great set of rules. It's a lovely map. So more to it. As you and I have discovered, I mean, we're still going with a podcast and still finding stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah. It just blows me. Six years? Six years? Five. I think it's more than six. Seven. Oh, it's about six and a six, half, six I think. Getting close to six and a half, yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> we're, we're still... Okay, yes, yes. The, the amount that we're pumping out isn't quite as robust as before. We're back to about, probably about once a month at the moment, but... Um, but we're still getting... It's we're not still because we haven't got anything to talk about. It's just we're a, bit, a little bit less available with our time as we used to be. But this year's been a horrible year. It has been a horrible year. Yeah. Um, look, um, Stephen... Um, is there anything you wanted to touch on before we finish up on this one? Actually, first off, Actually, so many different variants he talked about. I went, no idea. Like his, his favourite variants were going, never heard of them. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've never heard of Mercator, for instance. Yeah. Um, you know, I had heard of global warming and ice age. That was me. I think no, I no, talked the, about the, 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 He talked about something similar. Yeah, there, was, there was variants of that. Like, your, your mate, your, you've got those ideas. I've reinvented the wheel. To, to do a map. Yeah, but there's, there's already one. There's already variants. Oh, that, that was the, that was called flooded, wasn't it? Oh yeah, the flooded one where the, the end up going rip, rip, rip yeah, down to Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was fantastic. And I would love to see that game. And the other one is like an ice age one where like glacier ones. We didn't touch on that, but where ice um, 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 Switzerland starts off as like a, the ice cap, yep. and then there's ice that moves out as a glacier randomly going towards the periphery of the Right, world. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So yeah. it's the same concept, but it going the other direction. Other direction. Yeah. Oh. Which is kind of fun too, but it's just, you know, have, to, to have access to some of those variants that have been out there, like the other 90% of that's, been, that's out there. Actually, with that, um, one, with that one you talked about, can you imagine, like, okay, so you have no transform rules. So you start the game with, you know, I don't know how they organise it because you need to have more than just Switzerland as a supply centre because there's only one player there. So I don't know what it would be, yeah. but let's let's assume that you have such a where there's lots and lots of water on the board. So understandably, you're going to build lots of fleets early on, and then progressively as the game goes on, you're stuck with these useless fleets because you can't actually there's get to less the of the sea board. around yeah. anymore, yeah. and then you really need armies. Yeah. That would be a really good dynamic. <laughs> A game like that could only be done by hand. This is is the the blinkering of ourselves because we kind of, unless, unless, you know, I don't know, unless you and I go to a coding academy and learn how to code. Yeah, that's not going to happen. No, no, no. But it helps solve a lot of our problems. It would solve problems. With updating the website and so forth. Um, But I think the challenge at the moment, and I know this because I'm in. David E. Cohen's Man Over Heaven game, okay? Yes. And, you know, you need, well, can't remember the number of players. Might be eight, might be nine. Who knows? Might be seven. And just actually being able to, within that global community that we've got across multiple different, you know, online platforms, we've got a situation at the moment where, you know, a player has dropped out, 
and literally we can't get another player. You know, there's people interested and sniffing around, but nobody's saying, yeah, I'm in. Yep. And I think if you can't do that just for one game, <laughs> what chance is there for a you know, well, bonkers community <laughs> worldwide around this? Stephen hinted at that too, like he's involved with the Facebook you know, diplomacy scene, old geezers or whatever it was. Yes. Right? <laughs> You know, he's like, oh, I have that one for old time's sake. And you've got one, two people? Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so that, that's exactly the problem. Look, if, if the situation on that mandate of heaven lasts like, a few more weeks, I'll jump in and put my hand up on it. I think my workload will go down at that point in time. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in to help. But that, that's indicative of this situation. Um, where we have... Yeah, we've become over-reliant on the software. Or, or, I don't know, maybe it's contemporary culture has changed somewhat to what that instantaneous, yeah. not a long form type thing. Yeah. And I think you know, Stephen gave us an interesting perspective in that he has been away from it for 20 years, you know, essentially. So he helped establish the very early parts of diplomacy on the internet. And then he's gone away and he's come back to see what's happened to diplomacy on the internet and quite understandably actually from you know where message boards were a thing right as as to maybe what we consider as communities now are less visibly so to someone who last contact with the diplomacy community was 20 years ago. Um, so I, I, I hear what he's saying there too. Um, that's not to say you can't discount the communities that have, that have built get run, right? They're just different. And they're not, they're not the same and I'm not sure we could ever get back to that. However, elements of postal scene I think could be included into websites quite easily. Like, is there, let's say, WebDip, is there a functionality for them to have a zine corner right to the side where, you know, contributors could write and, like, a newspaper and it's published once a month based on contributions of whatever's happening on the forum, the observed games, people's art, you know, I mean, it'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, look, I think at the same time, though, I think the world has moved on rightly or wrongly around the whole scene environment. Things have changed. I mean, you have a situation yes. with, you know, with the diplomacy world, with Doug, you know, and, and Stephen touched on this as well. That's probably the one ongoing standing scene, and, like, it's... Doug has challenges getting people to kind of contribute just to that, and there's only one left, so it is, it is almost like... I, and I agree with you. I think it's a, a cultural evolution that's occurred around people just want stuff now. Yeah. And maybe we're not quite as contributory towards the communities that we engage with. We're more becoming more consumers than creators. Generally speaking. I mean, I know. Okay. Yes, yes. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a creator in the diplomacy community. Yes. Okay? But there's also other communities and things I deal with outside of diplomacy, where I'm a consumer. Yes. And maybe it's just a case of 
as time's gone by, what other people do is they get more involved and contribute in other areas, or yes. I don't know. People at the end of the day have only got a certain number of hours that they contribute and they've got to decide where they put that yeah, to and what they do. Um, look at us. We're very, we're devolving our conversation around diplomacy into a conversation around sociology and, and, and the contemporary human condition. Um, it must have been those couple of sociology classes they did, you know, 30 years plus ago. <laughs> I, I think this is worth revisiting at a later date, actually. I think there's a long, much longer form conversation that can happen in this space um, around. And I'm not sure who would be best to talk to around that. Maybe. Let me have a think about have it. Have a think about it. We can talk about, about that another yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, just wrapping it up, first off, uh, again, thank you so much, Stephen, for your time. But also, I'd like to, and we've touched on it a couple, we've, we've dropped his name whether you've noticed it or not, um, during today's conversation. I'd also like to thank David E. Cohen because David created the connection. Yes, David was yeah. the one that tipped us off and saying, hey, Stephen's getting back into the into the game and yeah. doing all these wonderful things over with, um, with Variance. Would you guys like to have a chat? And we were oh, hell yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And so thank you. Thank you very much. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Everything around... Um, the historical perspective to what's happening with zines through to, I guess, um, what even that, that that tangent around you know the, the history of printing technology as it related to zines, right? So you know, I, I enjoyed, <laughs> I, I felt, I enjoyed I the whole re- thing. I felt like <laughs> it's the one one of those fair, sorry, rare times, Painter, where I actually felt slightly young when he was talking about technologies <laughs> that I didn't even know we never heard of. We used the gerotypes when I was a kid. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I, was, I was totally out of that because my early impression is like a one of those dot matrix princes where you, you, know, you had to, um, those holes that run along the paper. Oh yeah, I remember those well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They're great. And they just roll through. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah. I printed. <laughs> But, but there was a whole period of time where, obviously, trans, but there was a transferal of printing technology to to that system, to word processing. So um, a bit before my time, but still thoroughly interesting from a um, from that perspective there. Um, I'm about to win a game, Andy. Really? I am. It's a winner-take-all game. Hopefully, I'm not in it. No, you're not in it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> How would you? Oh, okay. It's a public thing, is it? I'm pretty sure you've, you've said you're not in it. Oh, okay. Well, that's probably a good reason for me saying I'm not in it. Um, it. It's currently in retreat phase, and I am confident that I've won. Right? It's, it, it's an autumn. It's an autumn retreat. I've hit the required supply center count, which is 27 for the win. Um, and no one can actually retreat onto a supply centre that I own. So it's one ah. and done. Is this is this so, a this is a um, no no I was going to say this is anonymous. So we can't can we actually say what the the variant is or not? Yeah, we can now. Like it's one. It's literally like by the time this comes out. Yeah, this is a twenty-four hour phase. There's no retreats possible. I've got it. Okay, great. I just don't know who's won. I like like who, whose names are. Great. Right. Okay. Well, you, 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 let's let's. You should claim the credit for this I, container. I, I will. It's, it's a Germany 1648 um, map. Uh, the 
game is Paulana Helles. Um, I said, I, as it stands, I don't know who the remaining players are because it hasn't quite finished. Who are you playing as? Is I'm that playing the as the Austrian Habsburg. Austrian Habsburg. Um, the remaining... Looks like the Spanish Habsburgs are mostly left over, are they? The, the orange ones? The remaining three powers are the Palatinite, Pal- oh. Palatines, who have conquered the Spanish Habsburgs, okay. which are these yellow. Um, the Ecclesiastical Lands. Yep. And Wetton. Which has a single supply centre sitting up the top. The weird part is when I see this, you say those names, initially I go, that's France because it's blue. That's English. <laughs> 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 oh, that, that's Spain because it's got that. Yeah. <laughs> from <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so I've won this by being particularly ruthless. Ooh. Right? You've, you've, I, you've become a lot more ruthless as I, I, time has gone by, I think, Kaya. Uh, you're far less care bear. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, a number of years ago. Far, I think yeah. we've actually kind of we've switched, we've <laughs> traded places <laughs> about 18 months ago. Um, so I've, I've actually st- I've, I've, I've stabbed three players in this game to get the win. <laughs> um, well done. Yeah. So I. I it, it's an interesting map. This, I, I think, I think I've said it before. This particular map, it, it, it looks, it, it's a gorgeous-looking map to start with. Mm-hmm. But the thing, I don't know. Like, you have seen maps of um, 17th century Germany. Who territories? Who controlled what? You know, it's those a fucking mess. It's, it's a it's a mess. You know, and, and those territorial borders are, are crazy. And who? You know, those those. It never sorted places. itself out until after the Franco-Prussian War. Yeah, um, and and this is really a period in history where the the borders of the territories in on this map are. Well, it's like a, um, a spaghetti monster. Yep. And for many years, I found that I, even though I loved the map, I found the variant to actually be unplayable because one of the unit types has the ability to move two units um, on the board. Yep. And to be able to visualise where a unit could go to and lock that out visually was very, very difficult to, to do it through drop boxes yeah. oh, and to remember yeah, the names yeah. of the territories. Where now that it's got an interactive map, you can play it. It becomes playable and it becomes a really enjoyable playable variant. Um, because you don't actually have to memorise the name of the, the territory, which is actually quite, I find it quite difficult with the drop-down menus and remembering what territory is called what, um, based on the abbreviations in the small map. But it's a, it's a, it's a playable variant. Um, this particular map, I believe you actually do have to be quite ruthless. Right. If you find yourself to be in a situation where you're playing a defensive game, 
where you're playing a defensive game, you've actually you've actually lost in, in my another one or not? Uh, I will, but let me. Well, Sam. Okay, yeah. Um, this will be my last one until we go back to work and I can't be too slammed. True. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like all of our European and American friends. Probably, sorry, particularly our American friends have been going. Oh, so you sit around drinking four glasses of wine and then you go back to work. That's not the way I normally roll on a work day. So uh, um, that, that that's the, that's only because today's a special day because we're having. Yeah, it's a special it's, it's day for you guys. How often it's, it's does this happen? happen? I think the only time we've actually done lunch before is like when we're both on holidays. That is true. And, um, I know we uh, did it at the, 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 the creek. Um, the, the Breakfast Creek Hotel. Breakfast Creek Hotel, yeah, yeah. yep. Um, and <laughs> and I, remember, I went for about three hours and just came absolutely <laughs> got shit lost that one. Um, and we've done it out in Fortitude Valley, haven't we? Oh, I think we did too, we yes. Did. Yeah, we yeah. did, we did. And that one just went, that was, that was an afternoon. That was a, to the evening <laughs> um, of one. Um, Thank you. And, and can I get one more? I've got, do you want to play cheese? Sure. Yeah, let's get a pattern. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going up market today, Kane. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Anyway, where was I? Yeah, because of the because of the, the rules on this one. Um, oh. This one costs a My 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 French teacher would just absolutely. Have, I can picture her now. She was a fiery woman, and she was brutal. And I, I, honest to God, I would have gotten a slap from this woman had I just done in class what I just did then, ordering off the cheese menu. I said, I'll have, I'll have the le defon. Whack! I can picture her now. She was, yep. Well, the uh, the one I ordered, which is the Comte, is um, used to have that all the time when we were living in the UK, going to the Borough Market in London. Okay. There was a stall there that had this French cheese Comte, and it was just like the best cheese we'd ever ever had coming from uncouth Australia. Oh. <laughs> Almost like this fancy French cheese, and like it's it's now both mine and Mrs. Ambie's go-to cheese every time. Go to it each time. And sometimes it's great, sometimes it's extraordinary, often it's, it's, who knows, sometimes it's very ordinary, but it depends on where it comes from and the source of it. Just like any cheese, really. Yeah, true, true. And I've not got a cheese expert. And essentially, so you you did French at school, did you? I did for... I had a weird, I had a weird language experience going through school. Uh-huh. I, because it's just, it's just one of those weird transition moments in Australian education history. I just happened to be exposed to a whole heap of different languages because they couldn't, during my flow through school, I just got exposed to different ones. I, I had... Is this when Keating was Prime Minister and all of a sudden it's just Indonesian and all these other Asian languages suddenly came on the... I had, I had Indonesian, I had French, I had German, I had Japanese, I had... Um, it's alright. Thank you. I, I copped a bit of Chinese, I had Latin, um, I said French. Oh, Selway! You know, and, and in the end, the first language I ended up learning was Norwegian, right? Oh, and that was entirely unrelated to little, 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 miss, little so, Miss Ambie loves Norwegian as a language. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful part of the world, like absolutely gorgeous part. Of the world. I've only been around Bergen, but yeah. Oh, so you have seen some of those fjords? Oh, fucking just absolutely mind blowing. Just <laughs> what? It's, yeah. You see photos yeah. and you go, "Wow, that's really beautiful." You kind of you're there amongst it all. It's like. It, it is awe-inspiring. <laughs> you can see why they believed in trolls. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just yeah. stunning, stunning. You know. Oh, anyway, but where was I? Yeah, no, I was just literally exposed to a shit ton of different languages through primary school all the way through high school, and I don't think I stayed with one language more than a year over that period of time. So, lots of little exposures, and never got any sort of real teaching. French happened to be the longest one that I got, which was two years. Okay. So, yeah. Go figure. I think at school I did Italian in grade 7. Oh yeah, I got a bit of Italian year. too. Yeah. It's like half a year of it. Anyway. And then university I did a year of Russian. See, I never got Russian. Duh. Duh. <laughs> Duh. Duh. <laughs> it was back, back when uh, the uh, Soviet Union was starting to fall apart, and I thought, oh, this could be a wonderful world of opportunity. Not knowing, of course, that all the oligarchs and Putin's mates were uh, <laughs> already wet, ready to yeah, swoop. That's right. Yeah. Um, I guess what it has done is it's actually helped with my understanding of the um, epitomology of words. Yeah. Having, yeah, <laughs> having, having exposure to lots of different languages. So getting like the sounds of the words and yeah, where they might right, have yeah. come from because English is, so, is, is a bastard language of, oh, you know it, it's, it's Roman with then Anglo-Saxon with then French Norman with then Viking chuck that in and sorry the Anglo-Saxon being German old yeah, German old German and then Vikings, Vikings yelling with, at the old Germans with, with, the, with the Dane law and everything from the yeah. top north of the country and and then all of those additional influences that happened as um, you know, as, as, as England or Britain became a, a colonial power, there's, there's another influx of words right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's such. Yeah, it's a crazy language, English. It's a bastard language. It's just all this shit just thrown together. It's a Maybe creole. A language. It's a creole. Creole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what it is. It is. Yes. But it's a Creole that's become recognised. Frank Franco Lingua de Franca. Lingua de Franca. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, it's true to the point where we don't really. Like, the attitude is in Australia, I think a lot of people go, why the hell do I need to learn another language? Well, can you imagine back in 19th century proper diplomacy circles? So, you know, back in the 1800s, 1700s. You'd be using you are an ambassador. You'd always be using French. Yep. To play. So what we do now when we play the game, it'll all be con- everything, hundred percent conducted in French. Should be French, yes. As opposed to this bastard, you know, this horrible English language. English language thing that we use now. <laughs> Look at us. We're, the effects of us eating in a French restaurant has caused us. <laughs> Anyways, anyways. 
So oh, you're no, doing no, great no, on that no, game. Yeah, so hopefully, that is, that, is, that a, is that a ranked game? Um, it's a winner-take-all ranked game. Ooh, so, so you could oh. be well and truly on the way to the... Uh, oh, oh, do you think you might crack the top 10? I'm already in the top 1%. I know you are. I thought you last time around, uh, I thought you were at the 16th, 18th on VDIP. Last it's, it's, it's a good question. I am, for current players... Currently sitting on 17th. Oh, could, what's, what's, what's the number of points between 17 and in the 10th position? What, what, what would you need to go up by? Currently sitting in 10th is Rutilian, and he's on 2,304. Yep. And I'm on 2,156. It'll really depend, It'll depend, on, depend on who else is in, in the game. game. Now, I do have a loss coming up in Rediscan Mento. Yep. Um, but I don't believe that Riscamento is actually part of the ranking system used on Vita. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so move that across just a touch. Oh, you want me to move that like that? There we go. There we go. Perfect. Um, yeah, it really you can always just pick up it. those and move them. Yeah. So which is the comp tag? Actually, maybe not. That's the comp tag. Comp tag, yeah. That'll be your dolt. Actually, I might move that back because I wasn't going to get cheese all over the, um, the furry thing. Fine, fur. Actually, I'll probably take the furry thing off. Good mind. It's not windy in here. It's not windy in here. Sorry about that noise as we move the um, dead raccoon. Okay, and this is, oh, that, that'll be the butter. That'll be the butter. Okay. Butter makes it better. Butter does make it better. Um, yes, so I reckon... Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how I go with the ranking. I've, I'm actually, I'm in a game at the moment where I am, and I think we've, we've, I can't remember if we talked about this one on our Patreon feed or not. It's an anonymous game, so I can't talk about it. I know you're not, not in it. Yeah. But I was heading, I was, I was going, yeah, look, I might actually set myself up because it's a bit of a long play, but I could theoretically win. And I've been working on this, I've been working on this, and then the last set of orders that have been adjudicated is like, I've lost two supply centers. Oh no. And it's like, You're still in it? Uh, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm still just, 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 you know, top of, of all the players. But um, I'll just bring this one up to you because you're not in the game, so it doesn't really matter. So are, we, are we allowed to talk about it? Or? No, look, I think I think we'll just keep things vague, and we won't take too long on this one. But very like, vague. So this is me Ooh, okay, here. Yes, yes. Okay. But I've just kind of lost that position and that position, and can't regain them too quickly. So they're lost irrevocably. And from my point of view, I'm just waiting for this one small player that's left to hopefully get killed off and then I'll probably press the draw button because a number of other people press draw. Okay. Um, I've got a I've got a good ally over here. Yes. Although we kind of you know both been sending mutual love at various points of time. But Do you the, have, so the active enemy is this I've, position to the that one there. Yep. That one there. And that one over there. And who, are they who I actually stabbed. 
Are they attacking you because you refuse to um, hit the draw button? Have they drawn? This one's attacking me because I attacked him first and stabbed him. Oh yeah, okay. This one's attacking me because I wasn't allied to him, but I attacked him anyway. <laughs> and this one's attacking me because I wasn't allied with him, but I attacked him anyway. <laughs> So you bought it on yourself? Okay. Yes, I have. Because I was following your fucking aggressive strategy. I thought, no, no, no. No more weakest piss ambi. I'm going to go in there, kick some butts. And it was going well for a while, Kana. But it seems to have all gone to shit. Well, not going to shit. It's kind of semi-shit. It's like a... Well, semi-shit. I won't won't, won't go there. It's just going to get disgusting. Do you, I mean, this is a large amount. Yeah. Um, what did you put on this? Did you put cheese on this or you just put the other shit on? I put a bit of cheese and I put... That's not um, cheese, that's the butter. I put the butter and then I put a slice of cheese on it. This one? Yep. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, this map is, is, is coalescing around main powers. Yeah. Are you the only one holding out on the draw? No. No. I think that player is. Yep. And maybe one other. Do you think that if you hit the draw button... The others will fall in line? The others will fall in line? Yeah, I hope so. I think more likely than not. Mm. Your cheesy dolphin tastes good. Mm. It does. But yes, I had okay. high hopes that I was going to try to, and the other thing that got up against me, I had high hopes that I was going to try to crack into this player, or crack into this player around here. And they've actually got done some really great moves. They're good players. They've been able to kind of stave me off. So now my opportunity, short of attacking my one and only ally that I have left, is... Um, that's the only that's way it. I can kind of get ahead, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> fucking press draw. Is this a game where you've taken over an abandoned position? It might be. When are you going to join a game from the start? When are you decide? When are you going to do that? I have to be suitably inspired. Mm. We talked about this. I think we talked about actually starting a game of. What was the last time around we were talking about? We were talking about a particular variant. We went, that would be a good idea. Let's play a game of that. Yeah, there was. (laughs) 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 We were were too drunk at the time to remember. And now we're too drunk at the time now to remember. Our our, our very undrunk listeners are going, it was this fucking variant, you dickheads. Morons? Oh, um. It wasn't 1648, was it? The journey? No. no. But something else, though, that's like, yeah, that's interesting. We haven't done that for a while. There bloody well was one. <laughs> no, I... Jeez. Um, I'd, I'd probably look at the list of variants so I probably wouldn't be able to recognise it. I'm sure, hopefully it's in the show notes in one of our episodes when we go back and find out. Alright. Um, apart from that, 
you may have noticed there was this little kind of um, World Diplomacy Championship that hasn't happened for like about three years <laughs> happened right. earlier this month. Has the, has the dates dropped? For I'm talking about the, um, the, actual the, the 2022 oh. one in... Um, who was the winner? I've missed, I've missed this. I've so, missed Daniel this. Lester. Oh, congratulations, was Daniel. The so, uh, well done, Daniel, as the uh, World Diplomacy Champion. I think I've seen on um, Diplomacy Briefing a very happy Daniel wearing, like, the... They've actually got, like, you know, like the old boxing or wrestling belts, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. With like World Diplomacy massive. Championship written on it. It's oh, how fucking good is fantastic. that? Yeah. So, um, but... More importantly, actually, no, not more importantly, second as importantly, we should see if we can't talk to Daniel. Not a bad idea. Second as importantly, um, an Australian came second. Who was that? It was none other than Peter McNamara. Peter McNamara. I swear, the next game I play against him, I'm just going to attack him. (laughs) But the problem is. He'll turn that into a winning advantage. Well, you will. <laughs> go around. Sweet talking everyone else to say. He's unhinged. He's coming in. He's coming in hot. He's, he's doing this thing and he's... He'll turn the whole board against me and I'll be dead. That conto's not as good as the best one I've had in Britain. Um, so, yeah, well... Normally it's a bit more buttery. Anyway... Tasty. And uh, Peter Jürgen came in third. So um, overall, okay. it was great that we had a, um, a Brit, an Aussie, and, a, and an American in that top three. Mm-hmm. So um, fantastic news there. And um, on top of all that, um, from just kind of keeping in touch and just seeing what's being said around the traps, um, Goffey has confirmed that WDC 2023 will be going ahead in Bangkok, Thailand next year. Do we have a month or a date? I have a month and a date, and he said, hold off on announcing it because we've got to wait 10 more days as of the time we're recording until after the the Thailand tournament is complete and they're going to be announcing it then. Brilliant. But I have the details with me now. So maybe I might mention it in our Patreon episode because by then it would have been announced when it comes out. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. And then we can announce it on the next... Um, normal episode. The normal episode. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I can, um, I can go about booking my... Okay, my choking has now ceased. Book's <coughs> ceased. Yeah, it's gotten under control. Um, so I can now... Based on the information you're going to give us in the Patreons, and yep. the Patreons are going to hear it. Yep. A few minutes time, or whenever it releases. A couple of minutes time. Well, um, yes, whatever. I can go about what booking flights to Bangkok. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Nice. All right. Exciting. Exciting times. Absolutely. Um, I don't have too much else to kind of go through for today's episode. What about you, Karen? Um, no, and I'm, I'm actually aware that you're... Um, meant to be at work. You're actually meant to be at work. <laughs> Let um, me just quickly check my emails to make having, sure that Having a liquid lunch, so to speak. Not too many uh, nasty um, emails from my, uh, my boss. So I suppose we'll... Oh, um, it's like something urgent due by 2 o'clock today. What's this? Uh-oh. No, that's all right. Okay. I can just quickly answer this one now. Yep. In which case, let's um, move on to 
say our adio. No, no, ad, that's, uh, that's not. Um, adio. <laughs> what adi, adi, adio. Adio. Adios. Is that Spanish? Spanish, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Adieu? 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 Say adieu. Um, salut, bonbon. Ooh. Oui, oui. Oui, oui. And uh, we'll move on. So thank you so much, guys, for listening. I truly hope that you enjoyed um, our conversation with Stephen. I know I did. And definitely check out his website. And until next time. Until next time. All right. I'm Kana. I'm Abby. Cheers. Bye-bye.